The University of Miami Law School Entertainment Arts and Sports Law Program presents the Leadership Game Plan. I'm Executive Producer and Program Director Greg Levy, and now over to our host, longtime NFL coordinator, head coach, three-time Grey Cup champion, NCAA champion with the Miami Hurricanes, Miami Law graduate, and now adjunct faculty member, coach Mark Tressman. I believe that everyone can lead, no matter who you are or what you do. I believe just like quarterbacks, leaders are not born, they are developed. With so many platforms to speak our minds, there are countless ways to lead and impact the lives of others. So how we lead in this accelerating and interconnected world will determine our present and our future. That's why leadership today matters more than ever. Welcome to the Leadership Game Plan, where we go beyond the X's and O's through the unique lens of our accomplished guests. I'm your host, Mark Tressman, and let's get started. You know, and, and now last year you got kind of our, our, our overall theme is expect to win. And then right under that was continue to lead the world in social justice. Like, let's be, let's be beacon for this. You know, this is like that. It's important. And we've got this platform we need to use it. So we tried to keep that up there at the top of our priority list and, and actually, you know, get out there and do some things that really matter. I first met Nick Nurse in the winter of 2017 when he was an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors. We were introduced courtside prior to the Raptors game. And then later that spring, he took the time to speak to my Toronto Argonauts coaching staff about his leadership style and his unique style of offense, which I believe has changed the way NBA teams play the game. Nick's story is inspiring and admirable. He has been on a lifelong journey like no other NBA head coach. Growing up as the youngest of nine children in a small Iowa community, Nick's journey in sports and leadership started in high school, where he was a point guard on the basketball team and the quarterback of his football team. Basketball took him around the world as he coached 15 teams in four different countries. Nick found success every step of the way and winning multiple championships as well. His experience led to an assistant coaching job in the NBA with the Toronto Raptors in 2013. Then, in 2018, he was named head coach of the Raptors. In his first season at the helm, Nick led the Raptors to their first NBA title in franchise history. His leadership style and progressive offensive strategies were pivotal in bringing the NBA championship banner north of the border for the first time in NBA history to Toronto. Please welcome the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, a champion, an NBA champion, and my friend, Nick Nurse. Well, Coach Nurse, welcome back to Toronto. And uh, it's a privilege to have you with us today, of course, and, and thanks for taking you know, your valuable time uh, with us. You're welcome. Thanks for 
welcoming us back. Nice to be back in Toronto. First time in, in almost nine months for me to be back in my office here and feel like a rookie again getting started, but it's sure good to be home. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's great. We've got so much to talk about. And uh, for those in the audience uh, who don't know anything about basketball, it's really not going to matter today because, uh, you know, you're going to talk about uh, leadership lessons that can have everything to do with basketball or nothing to do with basketball. And and uh, I, I let's just get started, unpack it and, and dive right in. So let me start this way. You know, you've been on an incredible journey, you know, most of your life in high school as a leader. In high school, you were the quarterback of the football team. You were the point guard on your basketball team. You were point guard at NIU, which really is the quarterback position on a basketball court. I read that in your book. And uh, you've been a leader of men as a head coach for over four decades. So, you know, we kind of always start this way with our, our guests, and that is, you know, what is your definition of leadership and how has it evolved uh, over, over time from what it was years ago to what it is today? Well, you know, that's a that's a really good question. If you're going to try to define it, you know, somewhat quickly, you know, I would say this. I would say that you're trying to I, I really like to share the vision, right, of of what what the team can become. Um, and I and I think sharing that vision in is important. Don't 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 say <laughs> Get them, get them to see my vision, right? We want to, sh- we want to share our vision first of all. I, I really believe, and we'll get into this a little bit later. I really believe in the um, um, kind of the democratic approach where everybody's um, involved in what we think we can become. And then, as soon as you have that, you know, I always say that's one and one A. Really close to it is what's the plan to get to that vision, and and that also is a shared process of of okay you know here's what we want to do uh maybe it sounds like it's um something that's never been done before or something people don't think we can do or whatever but but maybe it isn't that that far out there if we come up with a plan that we think we can implement and we're all going to work with together and 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 go for it and to me it's as simple as that you asked me how it's evolved over time i think it's certainly evolved um you know from when you're a player um, and I was even a player coach. So that was that was really an interesting way to say I didn't really know what I was doing. I was about 21 or two years old, and maybe even in high school when you're out there playing or whatever. But but what are you doing? You're you're trying to lead by example when you're out there, you know, playing on the field or playing on the court with them. You're certainly gonna you know play tough and play hard and and be in great condition and and. Uh, fight and hustle and compete and all those things that you hope they see you doing and, and become part of what your team is. And, and then it gets a little harder, as you know, once you get off the court and the field to stand on the sidelines and, and impart those same things when you're not out there, you know, running alongside them. Yeah. I like what you said about, uh, you know, sharing with your team, you know, leadership today. And I think we've talked about this, you and I, that it's, it's really not a hierarchy anymore of who has the title or how well you can, you can motivate through fear or through, you know, rewards. It's more of a shared process of being able to uh, listen, uh, give information, take information, make decisions. Then you step into that shoes of a head coach and you have the 51% rule and then you make a decision that's in the best interest, you know, of your team. You know, I want to start kind of this way, you know, 
leaders have to pivot all the time. And so much has happened to you in the last two years. I just wanted to hit on some of those situations, if you don't mind. You, you take over a, a head coaching position for the Raptors. You'd been a head coach pretty much half your life. Uh, you were an assistant coach with the Raptors, so you didn't come from a different place. The Raptors already had a winning culture, and the coach you took over for was named Coach of the Year. So, you know, there's some things I just want to talk about how you pivoted into that position of a head coach. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about the first days after you were hired as the head coach of the Raptors. And and maybe it starts as even I know the first days didn't include your team meeting, but, you know, what did it look like and feel like, number one, when you walked into the building that day, you were now the head coach. And then as you transitioned and brought the team together and into the building, you know, what did that first team meeting sound like? If you could you know, lead, uh, let us come into the room and tell us what you as a new leader, you've been a head coach before, you know how to do it. Um, yeah, share it with us. Yeah, I mean, there, there were some unique situations there. I think being uh, an assistant, I, I, I look back and I say, man, it sure was valuable being here and then and then getting elevated because, you know, you spend a lot of time in the locker room as an assistant coach with the guys or on the court at night or or whatever, it's, it's, it's really a different role and a different relationship probably um, on some level anyway. So there was, there was a lot of things that, that um, well, I knew, right. And, and let's start at the top. I knew that um, rightly or wrongly, our team was going to be judged on playoff success, not regular season success anymore. That was just the environment that we were in. That had nothing to do with me or them, or we just, we'd won a lot of games and, and not had, had great playoff success. So I knew that that was the job. And I, and I immediately took that to the team. Like, like, here's where we are, you know, like it, like it or lump it or whatever we want to do. This is the reality of where we are. So one of the first messages, um, coach was, I said, let's, um, let's, let's build, right. Let's, let's build and let's try to shoot for April, May, and June. It was one of my, one of my slogans is like, it's not going to matter if we win 45 or 65 in the regular season, we're going to be judged on April, May, and June. So let's start by this. Let's keep an open mind. Probably going to try some things we haven't done or done, done around here, or, or maybe even I haven't even done yet. But it'll all be based um, to either help us, you know, later on. We'll, we'll, if it's something we try that's different and we like it, we'll put it in our toolbox and maybe bring it back out in April, May, and June. And, and if it doesn't work, I'm not silly. We'll just crumple it up and throw, throw it in the garbage, garbage can real quick. But what I want you to do is have an open mind and kind of a long-term vision for the season, but a short-term vision of, of, of getting better every day. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit, just hit on culture for a minute, because, you know, when there's transition and new coaches, you know, part of the reason is, is they always say in quotes, we need a culture change. Well, you know, the, the Raptors were winning. And I've always said that culture isn't, you know, who they are, it's who you are. You know, you determine, the leader determines the culture. So is there a nuance to how the culture changed? When you became a head coach, um, you know, out of respect for Coach Caldwell is a tremendous coach and has a, had a tremendous record, but it became it really became who you are now. And that's the nuance there with with culture changes. It starts with you. Yeah, I, I think and this this may not come across as as a culture change or or even 
part of culture, but I don't know, you can, you can tell me, but I think one of the things that, that I always think that, um, I try to do at the start of each season is, is, you know, you wake up and you think, well, how, how are we going to win? How are we going to win at all? Right. I mean, yeah, I mean that's kind of like, yeah. that's kind of like what we're here for is to try to figure out how to be the last one standing at the end. And, and sometimes you look up that road and it looks pretty steep. And sometimes, you know, you, you're already in that group as a contender or whatever it is. But I think bringing that mindset of, of, well, maybe, maybe it's, um, we get, there's gotta be a way we can win it all. There's gotta be a way we can get past this team. There's gotta be a way we can get out of the East, what, whatever it is. And I think that's always kind of been my thought, whether it was trying to get to the NAIA tournament or whether it was to try to win the British basketball league or the Belgian basketball league or the NBA D league. It was like really studying who, who we were studying the people we had to go through to, to get to where we wanted to go, but always kind of with that mindset. And I guess that becomes part of the culture. Yeah. When you came in, you had to, I'm sure you spent a little time thinking about your staff and uh, maybe not that's that, that first year staff in general, but just hiring staff, you know, hiring people that you want to work with that hopefully, you know, we want to learn from as well as, you know, educate and how do you go about doing that? And how did you go about doing that in this case? Well, again, being an assistant here, um, there was a lot of valuable lessons that I learned from the, the other members of the staff and things that I was kind of tucking away in the back of my mind if I ever got to, you know, build an NBA staff myself. Um, you know, one of the things, again, without making it sound too too trite or or you know, this, you know, just the same. I wanted a diverse staff. Well, what did that mean? Well, I wanted, I wanted, um, you know, I had kind of a couple tracks of, of, I was looking for, I wanted, you know, one, one former NBA player for sure. Cause I didn't play in the league. I wanted one international coach because I believe that there's some interesting things going on around the world and wanted a, a somebody with their, with their finger on that pulse. Um, and then I kind of wanted, maybe somebody I'd worked with before or a right-hand man that, that knew kind of my system inside and out that could convey it to the rest of the staff. And as you know, our staff, you know, you, you know, this from being a football coach, a lot of guys, right. There's a lot of, a lot of coaches and a lot of assistants and lots of levels, player development, film, film coordinators, all those kind of things. And, and uh, those are, those are some of the things. And the other thing I really wanted to try to do was get some guys with head coaching experience. Because I think that, um, well, you don't know really how it feels if it, until you've had to be in the seat to actually make that, you know, you said 51% decision. Sometimes you got to make a lot of them. And um, I think it's helpful no matter what level you did it at to be in front of the team and organizing practices and making game time decisions and, and relationship building with, with, with guys as a head coach and all that thing, all those things. Yeah. You know, in that first year, you went through a, a major trade. You know, you get Leonard and you give up a, a, a longtime player and a great player in DeRozan. And, and, you know, with every move in an organization, there's a ripple effect. You know, it, uh, there's interconnect, it affects everybody from the trainers and the doctors to, you know, the individual players. They're all going to have an opinion on this, this trade. And, you know, maybe you, you can give us, you know, an inside look at, you know, how you, you sort of navigated, you know, this trade with, 
with uh, you know your team specifically with your team because I know you're heavily involved. The general manager and people are involved in in making those personnel decisions as you coach the team. But how did you go about it? Well, that was add another layer layer to that the uniqueness of that. He was a huge fan favorite. Like like the city and the fans were were really um, up in arms, I guess, because they'd kind of grown up with him and he'd been here a long time, DeMar, and he's a great player, an all-star. And, and um, you know, Kawhi had been out for a year with an injury and, and obviously everybody knew he was great, but did they know what he was going to come back like? And it was a real roll, roll of the dice a bit um, with them. But, but you know, kind of get back to your question, there was – there was certainly some uneasy um, guys on the roster. Some of the players, I mean, obviously he was really close with with some of them, and and um, some of them weren't very happy about it, right? You know, they, yeah, they go to war for a lot of years, and they get really close, and and um, and so there was there was certainly some you know kind of time heals all wound things that I just knew it was just going to take time for us to settle back in and. And understand that there'd be some frustration or some um, level of of disgruntledness or whatever it is until that time kind of healed some of that stuff. And and like you know, every time you get up in front of a team, they they want to be coached and they want you to put them in good situations. And they they didn't know me as a head coach yet, and I just had to, you know, just again get them ready to play and put them in you know situations where they could succeed and and start building for the future. Let's go into a little bit into year two. You were, you know, let's talk about trying to go back to back, you know, relative, you know, having sustained excellence at, you know, what is a hyper competitive business. But, you know, this can relate to any business in terms of sustained success. You know, I had a chance in my coaching career to try to go back to back three times. And you've had multiple, multiple more times, you know, with all the championships you've run a, won around the world. And, 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 and what you had in, in Toronto as well. So, um, you know, I was just curious, you know, I've always said that you, uh, t- teams don't go back to back organizations do, but teams can't because they're never the same team the next year. So, you know, after winning one in, in Toronto, you know, what was your mindset going into year two, you know, after you had accomplished being the last team standing uh, in 18? Yeah, you almost said it there for me. I remember saying to a uh, new team, same dream, right? New team, same dream, because you're right, it does change. Even even two or three or four, you know, just adjustments to the roster make a difference, as as you know. And and the hard part, and again, you, you've been down this road, so you know the hard part is is getting everybody kind of over the elation of 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 the championship and 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 you know. Like I really know now for sure. I, I mean, I, I think I knew this anyway, but there's a lot of people that go into making a championship organization, a lot of people that have a great impact um, on it. And I felt it a lot this year in Tampa. It was really hard for our our kind of the rest of the staff and the rest of the organization, people that are Canadian to have to pick up, move to Tampa, bring their kids out of school or leave their kids back or whatever that you, we felt that just around around the team a little bit. So those people are important. And, and again, um, when you get that title kind of the way we did it, it was such a 
kind of magical run and magical moment and first one for for Toronto and just again trying to get them back to I'm you know we're kind of used to it as coaches you know I I was ready to you know that first that next season started I I always kind of view each season in its own entity uh, you know that stuff was it's always nice it's gonna be great to look back on but you got to get to work and get ready for the next one and trying to again treat treat the new team um you know like this is a season long process that we gotta we gotta dig exactly. in and get to work on exactly i think one thing you said that uh is really really important i mean i took me 25 years to be a head coach and you became a head coach at 23 and as an assistant you really don't see the big picture but as soon as you step into those shoes which is the advantage of what you had at 20 you see the world completely different and you see how everyone in the organization is completely interconnected to winning on game day and it's not just players and it's not just coaches it supports staff and trainers and and people that clean the locker room everybody's involved in 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 creating a winning and sustainably well sustainable and, and winning environment so then you know the second year things change there's a there's covid there's a pause and you kind of alluded to this and there's this restart in a bubble living out of a suitcase and i was just curious you know as the leader of the team you know, how you stayed connected during the pause and uh, and how you rebuilt and got them restarted. You know, what was your mechanisms for that? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously really difficult. I think all of us were in uncharted waters there. And I think, um, you know, first and foremost, at the beginning of it, Coach, we were just connecting with them um, daily at the start and then every other day just to check in on their health, you know, just to make sure they're okay, where they anything they needed. And then as it progressed and it looked like we were going to be in this for a while, we started trying to expand a little bit, um, you know, get them, get them weights or a bicycle or whatever they could, or a basketball hoop on their driveway or whatever they could to try to maintain some level of fitness if, if and when we did come back. Um, but mostly it was just getting them together every now and then just to check in. A lot of times we didn't talk much basketball. We just kind of talked about, uh, to health and with some other other issues that we were we were you know came along you know the black lives matter kind of movement hit hard there right in the middle of that too so there was all kinds of um zoom calls you know to get everybody together and connect with them and then just tried to as much as you could just text and call and and stay in touch one-on-one as well yeah i wanted to i wanted you kind of alluded i wanted to talk about the you know george floyd and you know, bringing social injustice issues, you know, for us as Midwestern guys who didn't really grow up in diverse communities, at least initially, and we'll talk about that. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit of the elephant in the room. You know, we have to face our team. And, you know, I grew up teaching my daughters that, you know, we were, they were in locker rooms their whole life, not to see color. And that wasn't really facing the world of social injustice. It's, it's not seeing color and seeing, the eyes through somebody who is a black man from communities that, you know, we really didn't connect to as, as, as young people. So I kind of called it the elephant in the room with my team, you know, and it just came up straight and was vulnerable with them about it and addressing it to, to try to better understand it. Um, and I was curious, maybe in this case, but you talk about it in your book, the, the elephant in the room, you know, and coaches have elephants in the room, those issues that everybody knows exist. But, you know, some coaches are afraid to address them. And I just thought, you know, it would be interesting 
you know, for our audience to listen to how, how you handle those, because I'm sure they're, that, that's something that comes up periodically during the course of the season and the year. Yeah, I mean, I think that you've already mentioned it. I think the first thing is, is you kind of take your coaching hat off and become just, you know, a member of the group and and really open your your ears up and listen to them. Right. I learned so much from those guys. We'd have we'd have uh, sessions uh, two, three hours uh, on Zoom you know, be pretty quiet at the beginning until we got going, but then we didn't end up staying on there for, for hours and just listening to their experiences. Right. And, and like you said, unlike mine, right. I, I, you know, and, and just, just um, hearing them go through some of the same experiences with, with law enforcement dealings they've had growing up and, and um, you know, things you didn't know. And, and again, it, the open communication, I think, um first of all brings a level of awareness to myself and other members of the of the team um it brings a level of closeness that you get to know know these guys and get to know each other you know a lot better um and then just offer some support in whatever way that is i don't know if it's an arm around them or if it's you know uh you need some help in your hometown to get a project going what can i you know let, let me know what i can do to help or promote or or get on a get on a to go out and help you whatever you want to do um you know please ask me and i'll be there you know so it's it's all those things and we tried we tried again as well you know and and just to kind of talk a little bit about the change coach like you know each year i kind of lay this vision out of uh who the team's gonna be and you know and mistakenly i never had anything about that on my vision Right. You know, and, and now last year you got kind of our, our our overall theme is expect to win. And then right under that was continue to lead the world in social justice. Like, let's be, let's be beacon for this. You know, this is like that. It's important. And we've got this platform. We need to use it. So we tried to keep that up there at the top of our priority list and, and actually, you know, get out there and do some things that really matter. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, elephants are great for the leader because it forces you to be as a, your authentic self. And it, like you said, by by being your authentic self and being vulnerable with the players and, you know, trying to understand where they were coming from, you develop better relationships with them. You know, if you're going to if you're going to live in a world of, you know, this horizontal hierarchy where we're going to share experiences and get to know each other, you find value in that. And um, those relationships help you coach better because players listen better when they they know you care and the relationship is authentic. Let's move now to, I, I think, a, a fun part. I want to turn a little bit to your upbringing, uh, a, a little bit, you know, I haven't read about it in your book. And your book's a fantastic book. It's a great leadership book, Rapture. I'd recommend it to uh, anybody who's interested in becoming a better leader. Plus, you've got a great story. But um the first, you know, with upbringings, you know, I believe that before you can lead others, you got to be able to lead yourself. And in our class at the law school, one of the things we do is we look at our narrative. We ask each student to look back at their lives, you know, who their teachers and their coaches and their parents and who the, if, if where the essential moments came and who the influencers were. And, you know, let's start with the fact you're the youngest at nine. You got to be able to lead your way out of that mess because that can't be easy. So, you know, uh, how does your upbringing, you know, how did it determine, you know, how you lead today and give us some of the events and teachers that were involved? 
Yeah, for, I mean, for sure. Like, you know, I, I think it's a great um, project or assignment or whatever you guys, when you go back and try to look at this, because that's kind of what, you know, when you write the book and, and, and you're trying to think about well, where should we start this thing? And, and you know, I'm going to start it in Carroll, Iowa, a little farming community out in the middle of nowhere as, as the youngest of nine. And, and there's no question, coach, that just that, that environment right there um, makes you competitive. Right. I mean, I, I kind of joke around about it, but, you know, if I wanted to have some cereal in the morning, I better get I better be the first one up or I better get up early. Or, and, you know, and then you get up there and you find there's three or four other people and you're fighting for a bowl and then you're fighting for a spoon and then you're fighting for some milk and and kind of goes on that way the rest of the day and, and whatever scenario you want to you want to paint. But so it's a it's a. You know, certainly, like you said, you got to work your way out of that and learn your way through that stuff. But it certainly gave me a, a, a good competitive drive, which is necessary in this business. And, and you know, I talk a little bit about in the book of of being a lifelong learner. And you go back and somebody says, well, how did you get that? I said, well, my mother was a teacher. You know, she was teaching in one room schoolhouses back in, you know, back in the day. And, and, um, and but also all my brothers were pole vaulters, right? I, we were, we were pole vault. We had a pole vaulting pit in our backyard. And the only reason that's relevant is we used to order away and send away for these pole vaulting manuals. You know, I was a little kid reading about how to become a better pole vaulter and what techniques or what, what exercises I could do to become better. And it kind of hit me that that was like my first delve into like learning to want to be better. And it was at a very, very young age that I was studying this stuff. And I think it's always stuck with me, both my mom's educational background and those early pole vaulting lessons. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, and I, and, I, and I didn't prepare you for this, but, um, you know, in everybody's life, there seems to be some kind of coincidence that takes place where it, it, there's kind of this fork in the road and unbeknownst to you, it happens. For me, I was studying for law exams and ran into one of the football coaches at Miami. And a week later, I was a volunteer assistant. You know, was there any moment in your life that you look back and go as, you know, you've had a long and impressive coaching career, even in childhood that, that changed, changed your route from maybe, um, you know, working more of a, a traditional job to being a coach? Well, I'm somewhere during that same. time. Yeah, a little bit the same. Not 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 in law, not working on law degree. I was working on an accounting degree uh, at the University of Northern Iowa. And and it just I wouldn't say it was a moment that I bumped into somebody like you, but there was a I could see the I could see the end of the road in my basketball playing career coming up, you know, midway through my senior season. And I was like, I've been pouring my heart and soul and everything into this. And it's just like, it's going to be over in a couple months. I mean, like over, like, and I'm actually going to like go get, a, go get an accounting job. And I just, all of a sudden I couldn't, I couldn't see that, uh, that I wanted to leave the game. And, and I literally went upstairs and talked to my head coach at the time, Eldon Miller said, man, I, I, I don't want to leave basketball. I think I want to coach for when I get done. And, and then I went over across the other side of the uni dome and, and talked to Bob Bowlesby, who was our athletic director. He's now the commissioner of the Big 12, I believe. And and um, and I told him the same thing. I said, I don't think I want to be an accountant anymore. I want to coach. What should I do? And luckily, Eldon said, you know, come on over. And stay. kind of same with you. I, I, I finished out. And the next thing you know, I was in the basketball office uh, 
trying to run down game tape and and get ready to go to be become a coach and help them with their basketball camps and all that stuff and 30 coach, years coach Miller down. said at one time he said he said Nick Nurse is a natural leader and I I just wondered a little bit about what you thought about that do you think there's such thing as a natural leader like I've always felt like quarterbacks aren't born they're developed and leaders may have a a minuscule leadership gene but they really have to be developed too. You talked about it. You're a lifelong learner. Leaders are lifelong learners. They're, they're, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, do you have any thoughts on that? On on you know, do you do you look at yourself as being a born leader, or have you learned how to lead along the way? Or do no, I don't. I don't think I was. I would say born leader, but I would say my environment certainly pushed me. My my early environment, like again, five older brothers. They were all playing every sport. They were all you know, pretty good to very good athletes. So I was playing and doing a lot of things, you know, at a, at a younger age, I think, than probably most of my peers, you know, like, like my brothers were quarterbacks and they were teaching me footwork and there I was seven years old. So I'd go to the flag football thing and I'd be showing the next guy. This is what my brother told me, you know, <laughs> this is how you drop back. And this is how, you know, and, and that, I think that's not born. That's just part of the environment, right. That I learned from somebody else. You talked about a, a couple of minutes ago about, you know, you didn't want to, you wanted to get out of accounting. You wanted in to get into, get, stay in basketball. And that's where your heart was and your passion was. Did you, um, you know, did you have any belief that you could be a coach at the time or did you just want to stay in basketball? Did, did you know you wanted to coach when you went into Bullsby and, and to coach Elder and, 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 uh, and said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be an accountant. I want to be a, a coach. Did you, what well, inside I think, of you? I think that that I probably didn't want to leave basketball initially. Um, and then I think when I got into it, I just uh, again, um, sitting there on the bench as a as a fifth year senior, but assistant coach and and just trying to help those guys win the game and figure out any 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 means possible to help them get better as players and have a meaningful career there um, didn't take long. You know, I really, I really was like, man, this is all, this is really something to do as a, as a profession. I really, uh, again, the passion was, was burning pretty, pretty bright. When I was uh, eight or nine years old, I was all, I was already making playbooks. I had, and I can still remember the plays that after games, we would go two on two. And I actually had a playbook. Do you remember when you started thinking about, you know, all these complex offenses and everything that, that, that you run when that, that passion started. This probably, won't, this probably won't surprise you that you know me really well. I was doing the same. I was making football playbooks. I was making football playbooks when I and I and I still joke around. Uh, I still joke around because my. Um, in fact, last week I was I was home in Iowa my, with my next closest brother, Steve, and and I used to go up and visit him. And he was at, he was at Northern Iowa too, and I'd go visit him. And one of one of his roommates was. Uh, going to be a high school football coach and me and him used to sit there and, and draw help draw his playbooks there in, in football when I was uh, you know freshman in high school or something but what's uh, sick is I can still remember the plays which is really my my long-term memory is better than my short term but let, let me let's go a little bit into this amazing journey that you've had I mean you would you've coached all over Europe even before you you know you got back here and and uh, I just wanted to ask you during that time you had to have moments of adversity you know, and, and with any coach's life, there's, there's daily adversity after you lose, there's, 
practices that don't go well. Um, you know, I always say there's inevitability of adversity in life in general, and adversity is an opportunity and it helps you build backbone. But, you know, how have you handled adversity and how do you teach it, you know, with your teams as, as you know, throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been a lot of, you know, a lot of moments, even when when I first went over to England, um, kind of the second time around, I, you know, I, I really was trying to get find out if I could be a head coach and if I was going to be any, if this was, this was, I was going to be any good at this and try to learn and stuff. And um, yeah, there's some moments where I, where I literally decided that I was going to do something else. And, and I, I kind of mentioned this in the book too. I went home back to my, I was living in a hotel at the time and I wrote down, <laughs> wrote down four other things. Accounting wasn't one of them. I wrote down four other things I thought I might do if I got out of coaching and looked really bad to me on the sheet of paper. So I decided I better, better get back to work, man. And, and, you know, dig in even more and start learning and, and more, you know, to be better, you know, just, just to dig in. And I think that even now, you know, you get, you get Delta lost. Um, my first instinct is to just go back to work, you know, like, like look at, look at the, the game and, and, you know, go to work on the things we needed to get better on ASAP and try to make them better as soon as we can, because there's another game coming. And that usually um, serves me pretty well. It's just digging in and, you know, the the work ethic that I've kind of developed from a young age. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, the, you know, we always talk about in our classes, the process is just, you know, doing the things diligently daily. That's going to lead to the scoreboard working in your favor you know, on game day. And that is just going back to work and fundamentals, how to shoot the basketball, um, you know, playing better defense, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, you know, you've coached 15 different teams, five different countries, you lived all over the world. Um, you know, over time, do you have a, do you have a value set or a set of core values that when you walk into the building, your building each day, you know, kind of your non-negotiables with your team and with your staff. We're going to do things a certain way. And, you know, for me, it might be respect, humility, trust, love, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of different forms of values that what, do you have, you know, a few that you can share with us that that you lead your team with daily? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, we always we always try to be um, humble. Right. I think I think that. Um, that's one we'd like to talk about a lot. I, I, I talk a lot about deflecting, um, the praise to the, your teammates or whatever, you know, like, you know, the guy who scores a bunch of points is going to be the one they put, you know, uh, in the press conference or the camera in front of. And, and we try to talk about, you know, um, all the pieces, even around the organization, coach, we try to, we try to include everybody as much as we can. Um, because they, like we, like we mentioned earlier, they are like super key and we couldn't do it without them. So, so that's one, um, you know, I think that, um, hunger or I, I don't, I don't like, we always like to be like, like aggressive, right? I know everybody says that we play aggressive on defense and we play aggressive on offense, but we really try to make that of a part of who we are. And, and in this, this level, you got to shift gears a lot. Like we'll, we'll have specific moments that these are, these are teaching moments and we're not going full tilt, but you know, we let them know, okay, now it's like, 
now it's time to be who we are. And and we try to say it's 9 a.m. on Tuesday or it's uh, 7 p.m. in game seven. We want to be who we are. And that's, you know, that's we start doing things at a certain pace that we expect um, and a certain intensity and a seriousness while trying to do it with a smile on our face. Like that's one of our big things is I hope that when you watch our teams play, you're going to see some enjoyment there. So it's it's humble, hunger and 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 enjoyment. Yeah, I think that, you know, the best way to be to enjoy what you're doing is to be grateful that you have the opportunity to be in the NBA, for instance, or have the opportunity to do what very few can do. And then, you know, there's a level of selflessness. I don't think you can have fun and be joyful in your job and without being selfless and, you know, making the team bigger than you. And uh, it's it's a it's a challenge for all coaches. You know, um, I've always felt that all businesses are people businesses. And I think professional sports is the ultimate people business in a lot of ways. And I just, you know, you've talked a little bit about it, but I think that, you know, building relationships is such a big part of it. And, and you've addressed it, I think, already. But maybe there's something you haven't in terms of how you will go about, you know, building relationships in your building, not necessarily just with your with your coach, with your players, but with your coaches and just the people that, that work in the building? Yeah, I mean, pretty simple, Coach, for me. I think that um, the, 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 the first thing that comes to mind is just kindness, right? I, I think that, that, you know, when I, when I see anyone within the building, you know, just walking down the hall, I just want to say, hello, how you doing? How's your family? You know, just, just, just being extremely nice and kind to them. And, you know, I, I, um, I'm going to divert off just a minute ago. I, one of, one of the things that I do when I'm preparing for a playoff opponent is I, I watch several hours of my opponent's coaches, coaches press conferences. And I just feel like I'm going to get something out of that, right. As far as information I can use. But one thing that I've noticed doing that over the years is, is, I don't know, some of those guys don't seem to be that courteous and respectful to those people that are asking them the questions. And, and I really try to extend that to the, you know, the, the media and the press conferences, I don't think it's gonna, well, let's put it this way. I think it helps, helps everybody if we can all be a little, little, little kinder. And as you know, those things aren't easy to do day after day, every day, you know, every practice, every game there, there's a press conference there to do. And there's a lot of times you don't feel like doing them, but you got to kind of put on that. Um, I always said to put a smile on my face. I learned that from Dr. Tom Davis when I was driving through the Iowa cornfields and he'd be on his Iowa Hawkeye radio show and those guys would be blasting him and asking him all these tough questions. And he always, you could hear the smile in his voice when he answered them. And I don't know how he did it, but I was always marvel at, at, at how gracious and kind he was to everybody that called. And, and I think that's where it starts with the staff. You know, you really, really um, just show some kindness to people. Um, then I think that with my own staff, the coaching staff, I, my, my goals are to get them to where they want to go. So that, so that gives, give them experience, you know, throw, throw them in the fire and practice, give them a team to run in the scrimmage, you know, let them call the timeouts, let them make the subs, um, let them, you know, and then sit down with them after and say, good, good, good. Maybe, maybe work on this, work on this next time, do this, whatever. And, and just give them some hands-on experience and give them some hands-on real feedback and really try to 
help them. I mean, as you know, I'm sure you've got plenty of guys that have worked for you that have gone on to become head coaches, and there's nothing nothing better than that. Yeah, that's that's what uh, you know. I was going to hit on that a little bit later, but that's something that I, I couldn't be prouder of to see coaches that I worked with in Canada that are now in the NFL and coaches that came with me to the NFL and are working all over the league and seeing their development and growth is, you know, one of the great, uh, great rewards of, of being a head coach. And, you know, you talked about being kind and being respectful, you know, that just goes to, you know, everybody watches the leader and that's why leaders can be in any role because everybody's watching. If you're kind you know, people are saying, well, he's a leader and he's kind. I mean, that's just sending a message and, you know, holding people in the highest regard is maybe one of the most important aspects, you know, of leadership. And, you know, that's defined by you and the media, you know, they're a conduit to our fans. You know, they're a conduit on who we are as people to our fans. And they're also the conduit that sends a message to our team, because I always felt like when I was talking to the media, I was never really looking at them. I was looking at our team and hoping that the way I you know, the way I, you know, handled myself and the things that I said would resonate to them. Um, I wanted to hit on, you know, trust for a minute, you know, as coaches and, and relationships in general, you know, trust is the cornerstone, you know, of every relationship. And, you know, you kind of talked about it, you know, in and out of this, the time we've had together, but, you know, how do you, how do you develop trust and how do you do it quickly? And, and I think I know the answer because I know you pretty well, but you know, I'd, I'd like you to tell our audience, like when you go into the room, how do you how did you begin to develop trust, you know, with people once you took over as the leader, wherever you've been? Because it's so important to, you know, a leader's ability to succeed at his position. Yeah, I think. Um, the first thing I would say is, um, I, I, again, I, I say like the X's and O's part of the job is like 15 percent of it. Right. That, that 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 part is such a small part of of the whole makeup of the job. However, <laughs> it's a pretty highlighted 15 percent, because I think when you walk into that locker room or walk out onto the practice floor, the thing that that they want to know is, is can you help them in the game? Right. Can you can you get them ready for the game? Can you understand their strengths and how to play to them? Can you can you limit? maybe some things they need to work on or, or aren't ready for yet. Can you put them in, you know, position to succeed both individually, right. And as a team. So right away, they're going to want to know if, if your tactics and your matchups and your play calls and your defensive changes and your timeouts and your subs, that 15% that we're talking about, they're, they're judging that right away. And I always felt that, you know, I've been in that, gosh, I've been in that, uh, a lot of places like, you know, um, I got here when as an assistant, it was be like, who who is this? Who is this minor league guy? Why, why should we be listening to him? Or even if I was at the minor leagues, it'd be, you know, I'd be getting a whole bunch of guys from North Carolina and Kansas and whatever. And they'd show up at my, my D league team. And they'd be like, who is this guy? Like, and, and they don't know who you are. And, and the only thing you can do is hopefully again, be pre super prepared and, and, ready to go on that part of it then I think once you gain that trust that you're talking about then all of a sudden now you're getting to to talking to them about here's where I see your vision and your path and the growth you can make as an individual player and here's how I you know think 
we could use you or what do you th- give me some of your feedback? What's your, vi- what's your vision for the year? Or what do you see yourself going? You know, and it's, and it's for us, it's usually, um, you know, coach my whole life, you made me play inside. I think I can handle the ball or, you know, I'll say, Hey, let's start, let's start letting you bring the ball on the break a little better or whatever it is. You know, there's so many things. And I think the rest of that part develops and you work, the trust grows and the communication grows, the relationship grows, and then you're, you're doing all, all parts of the job. Well, you just put an exclamation on the most important part of this conversation because I 100% agree that, you know, there's a formula to leadership. And the first is you got to know your science because players want to be want to coach. You can help them master their craft first. And if you can show them initially that you can master your their craft, then you can do all the other things you want to do as a coach. You can you can you can show them your core values and you can show them how to lead and you can develop trust. and you know, they don't the authentic relationship. You can have it, but you won't have their respect unless you can show them you that they can get better. And so I think maybe the most important point of this conversation, if you want to lead, you got to know your stuff. You got to be competent in your world and know your science and be able to take and you do it with a very complicated offense. And and I, I think I do it in football is a science. It's not just blocking and tackling. It's a it's a complicated interconnected, hyper-connected, you know, complex, you know, science. And we have to make it simple and we have to create, we have to, you know, communicate the fundamentals so our players can understand and say, hey, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. Then the credibility takes place and now your authenticity can come out and relationships grow and trust, as you said. So I just wanted to put a, a, a exclamation on that. You know, I wanted to, uh, you know, when I was in San Francisco, Bill Walsh would always say, you know, a, co- a coach's job is to develop players and develop people. And sometimes in professional sports, coaches think and assistant coaches think they just should be given the talent and to coach it. And and I don't think anybody in, you know, at any level of sports does a better job of developing talent than, than Nick Nurse. I'm, I've watched it with Siakam. I've watched it with Van Vliet and others. And I think there's a lot of pride in developing players and, and, and you've already kind of hit on developing your staff and giving them our opportunity, but can you just hit on that, Nick, a little bit on, cause I think it's such an important part of, you know, your, your brand as a coach is the development of individual players to be part of your team and, and execute your, your basketball. Yeah. I mean, first of all, um, I, I'm, I got to give a lot of credit to to my bosses in the front office. I mean, when I came here eight years ago, that was one of the things they said right away was we have to develop our young players. And everybody understands that, you know, when when you've got a professional team or in, in your you've got to take those young players and, and lift them up and get them in positions to be. Um, either valuable members of your team or valuable assets in the organization, right? So um, they placed a huge emphasis, but they followed that right up with like, do whatever you have to do. Like Masai, I can remember Masai Ujiri, our president saying to me, whatever you need to do, do it. Like, like you need to get on a plane and go see Jonas Valanciunas in Lithuania for a month, go do it. Or if you need to, you know, go, go to LA and see, DeRozan or go to Phil, you know, just, just go, go be with these guys. And we kind of started, um, you know, just making a really detailed um, effort in the summer to, to, 
to not bug them all the time, but just have our hands on them and see them and see check in and and on all facets of what they were doing. And then and then coach, we decided that we had a couple of of um kind of group workouts where we'd invite multiple guys together. And then we decided that that was really our um, secret sauce, right? Because now we started, they could start, instead of just playing one-on-zero or one-on-one, we could start putting them in, in group activities. And the rhythm of how the offense moved was being learned and felt by them um, together. Right. And and so they could see that that there was a there was a real rhythm and pace to it. And it had to be done with, you know, minimum of four guys, let's say, or four or five. And and then we could kind of break that down and say, here's where your freedom within that four or five man group activity comes. So you can, you know, I always say do something spectacular. Right. Or we can find the areas that that you can be great in this thing. But a lot of that developed in, I think, the front office's vision early to say do whatever we need to do and and two we started doing these group activities i thought that promoted um, not only team play and team growth you know relationship growth but also finding those um great moments of individuality within those group workouts you know we've uh we've known each other for about five years now and you were kind enough you know i beat when you were an assistant with the raptors to spend some time with me on the uh uh, you know, on the court side before a game, we started talking and kind of hit it off. And then I, you know, I look up your background. We're from the Midwest. We both played basketball, football, and baseball. You know, we even, we won't go into it today, but we both had a chance to go to an Ivy League school and didn't go, you know, which, which I haven't told you about. And, and then the other thing that was kind of unique to me is when I got the bear job, you know, one of the people that I wanted to go see, and, and you talked about it, this desire to read and to grow and you're you're relentless in traveling around the country to meeting people, and and uh, you know I have been too. And when I got the job a year after I got the job, you know I had a chance to go see Phil Jackson, and I took two of my players with, and it was like a bucket list for me because I read Sacred Hoops when I was in high school, and it really changed my life to how I approach when I started coaching. And and you did the same. You went to Montana and spent a few days with you know, Phil Jackson, and this, this is not a Phil Jackson, uh, a podcast, but you know, he, I think he's worthy of a couple of minutes, you know, and to, you know, cause I think that, you know, what you learned from him and what we learned from him is probably worthwhile sharing on leadership. And I, and I, maybe I'd, I'd like to ask you, you know, two or three things that you got out of that, that time with him. Yeah. I mean, first of all, um, you know, that I was, I always say he was my mentor for about 10 years. He didn't know it. I'd, ne- <laughs> I'd never met him, but I, but I was, I was on this Island in England and, and this is back before everything was online. I was sending away for VHS tapes of the bulls games. And I was running the the triangle offense or trying to, trying to run it and learn it. And there was really nothing else. I was in a hotel and I was trying to study my craft and I was watching those games over and over and over and over again. And, um, and what ended up happening was I was learning about how he coached, not just the offense. I was, I could, the rhythm and the timeouts and the subbing and all the unique things that he brought to the table were sinking in on me as I was studying his offense and him for a lot of years. So, so when I did get the job and he agreed to meet me in Montana, it it really was a um, thrilling, 
um, kind of like pinch yourself moment for me. And, and I, and I talk about how we threw me, we, we got in his truck and he pulled over and grabbed some bag of cherries and we were, we were driving and I we're, we're eating cherries and spitting the seeds out the window as he's driving around Montana. I was just like thinking, man, this is unbelievable for me as all these years I, I kind of studied and he mentored me without, without him really knowing it. But, you know, he, he, um, obviously the spirituality side of it, right. He, he told me, you know, don't, don't, uh, underestimate the basketball gods. And, and, uh, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, just understand that you've been hired to make the best decisions for your organization, right? That's the, you know, you've got to, you've got to keep that in the forefront of everything you do. Don't ever, don't ever shy away from that. And don't ever, don't ever, you know, push that one anywhere, but, at, you know, keep that at the top of the priority list. Um, and then he, he told me an interesting story about, about the sword. You know, he said, you got to imagine he, he used a sword, an imaginary sword. And he said, you know, one end of the sword, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to, get on these guys and prod them and, and, and ask for more and push them and all these things. And he said, but, but every now and then I want you to like turn that sword around and look at the handle and use the handle as a, as a source of compassion where you have to um, understand what they're going through or understand where they came from, you know, once in a while. And, and I really found that to be, and he kind of, he kind of disappeared into the, you know, after he said that, he kind of, he kind of got in his truck and drove away with the, with the dust going in the, in the air. And it was kind of a, kind of a, a spiritual moment, to be honest, you know, as he left me with that, but it's certainly something, you know, you got, you got to stop and think about because, you know, as, as the games are coming and the heat's on and the pressure's building and all those things. And you gotta, you gotta be able to, to pull back and understand that, that uh, these guys are young and they got a lot of things going on and, and um, you got to be able to just to have some compassion on some more. Yeah, I think he, you know, I've, he, he kind of told me the same stories. And I, I think he was giving us a lesson in self-awareness, you know, that um, if we would pay attention to the sword and be compassionate, we would we would in times that we were stressed, we, the ego would be left out. You know, we would eliminate the ego and we would we would do what's right for the best in the best interest of the team. And uh, yeah, I, I did get a lot out of that. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very unique, as you said, experience. He was kind of there and then he wasn't. Um, and then I went back and read the book and go, I'm glad I read the book. And I'm glad I had the opportunity and the privilege of, of spending some time with, with him. I, you know, we've, we've, we've spent quite some time together. I wanted to uh, finish the last four or five minutes and thank you again for your time and, and talk about some things that I've shared with the class and some questions I've asked the class. And maybe you could share some of your answers. And, you know, when we talk about our jobs and our professions, you know, we know what we do and we know how we do it. And it's it's kind of the line of new leadership teaching. It's the first thing we got to talk about is why we do it. You know, why we do what we do. And I so I've always asked our class, you know, why do you blank? You know, why do you whatever that is or what you will do? And so I've got four four quick questions for you. The first would be. You know, do you can you can you articulate why you coach? Because here you are in the you're you're the tip of the spear right now. You're the you're the only coach and a professional head coach in all of Canada. I mean, you coach Canada's team, and that's a that's a big job in a big league. And you've won a championship all over the world, but you've won it in this league, and that's uh, to your credit. Um, but why do you coach? I mean, the, the results are there, but what is it? 
the day-to-day? What's going on day-to-day as to why you coach? Um, I think it's, I think it's coaches, um, is being able to impart, um, a passion and a vision that, that maybe you can help them help the players or the team or the city or the whatever, um, become even maybe more than they think they can become. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Cause I think passion has to start in your heart and your, your heart is, is the ignition for your vision and, and how you see things. Um, why do you coach the way you do? Well, that's probably a product of a lot of things, right? I think that, um, you know, you know, I, the one thing that I, that I still search for the answer for is, is I re- I really have an optimistic attitude of believing like, we can win a, win a championship like each, at the start of each and every season that I've had for 30 years. I, I, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, geez, I think I think there's got to be a way we can figure this out. And I, I'm not I'm not sure where that came from other than you know, my mother was incredibly positive. She had a smile on her face or or I don't see any other way to do it. Like the expect to win thing is like real for me. Like I go out there and I look and I say, we're going to win. You know, I don't, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Let's all figure it out together and let's get to work. And and that part, um, I can't really answer for you, but that's yeah. how I feel. Okay. Right? Let me ask you this. What does it feel like to be coached by you? If, you? if I would ask Van Vliet or Norm Powell or, you know, Kyle Lowry, Siakam, you know, what it feels like to be coached by you, what, what do you think they would say? Well, I hope they feel that thing we just talked about, right? They, re- they really, they, they, you know, they look at me and say, how are we going to beat, uh, you know, Philadelphia this week? And I'm going to say, well, here's how, you know, <laughs> like, like I hope they feel that, that they feel like there's a, there's, there's going to be something we can come up with that we can all believe in, you know, that, 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 and it may be a, uh, we may be big underdogs or we may be whatever, but, but we'll figure a way to change the game. And, and, um, and, and always like, again, one number one. How, how are we going to figure out how to win? And and one A right underneath it is how are we going to how are we going to increase their value in the marketplace because there is individual goals we need to take care of, and I hope they feel that. You know, Coach Mudra. You know, Coach that we we both look up to, and I'm, we're, we won't go big into it. But he was a famous coach to all of us growing up in in Minnesota and Iowa. And he was a small town coach and a small college coach. And and one of the things, and you kind of alluded it to, is. You know, everybody in business, everybody in sports, every individual, you know, their number one interest is their self-interest and their goals and their careers. You know, how do you meld that? Because because it's something I never thought about. You know, I thought because I never had those feelings as a teammate. I just wanted to do what was ever the best for the team. But most people don't. And I realized that a long time into it. And Coach Mudra figured it out. And, and I know you've talked about this. So how do you how do you overcome the self-interest, you know, and, and get players to put the team first? Is there a, is there a mechanism you use or is it just the relentless day to day, you know? No, I, I think it's, you've already used the word. It's, it's, it's kind of the elephant in the coaching room, right? Like right. from sixth grade, fifth grade, everybody's team, 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 whatever's best for the team, 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 right. team. And, and that's kind of, as we get a little older, everybody's got it going, you know, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm not all about <laughs> I'm going to get a scholarship or I want to be all conference or I want to start or, or I want more minutes or whatever. There's all kinds of eyes going on. And I think just acknowledging that fact 
first and foremost, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start every year saying two goals. One is to win because that's how we're judged in this business. And two is to increase your value in the marketplace. And we're going to talk about both those things constantly. That's, that's, we throw it right out there. Yeah, that, that's really good. And yeah. in your book, you talk about, you know, being able to listen as a leader and, and when silence is appropriate. Can you hit on that just for a minute? I think that's so, so important in leadership that, you know, we're able to just listen intently, not look at our phone or look at our watch, but listen. And then when not to say something can be a form of leadership. Yeah, I think that uh, the first one, the, the phone and the watch and all that stuff is increasingly a challenge, I think, for everybody. But I think it's it's um, go back to the respect and kindness and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I believe and I believe um, uh, my voice is a finite resource in the course of a season. And um, I certainly don't want to uh, have to coach everything or say everything or run every meeting or have the last word or whatever. I, I really believe in letting the players play and letting my coaches coach a lot. You know, that's a Daryl Mudra coach from the press box, let his offensive and defensive coordinators coach it on the field uh, thing that I learned when I was in college that I, that intrigued me. And, you know, I think I was fortunate coach my first year. I had a good team. I really did. I, I kind of, I kind of, had this slow play vision. I was putting in things pretty slowly. I was letting a lot of my staff run most of the meetings and, and I kept, kept my words to a minimum and, but come playoff time, I had a lot saved up so I could, I could really dig in there and they wouldn't be tired of hearing, hearing my same voice over and over for a hundred games for the year, you know? In you, in your book, you, uh, you talked about having some bullets you know, during the season. And we, we know as coaches that, you know, you know, F-bombs aren't necessarily the norm, but sometimes they do make a point, right? And how to, how to, how to be meticulous in picking those moments when you got to get on your team. And, and when, you, when you're a voice of reason and you have the pulse of the locker room, as you do, and, and most head coaches do, you know when it's time to lay into them. Um, and. Uh, and to not beat around the bush, so to speak. You want to share that with our audience a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's, again, a thing I think you learn when you – I mean, I started coaching pros at about 26 years old, and obviously I think there's a big – it was a big difference, especially back in that mid-'90s. You know, you already – Sacred Hoops had just come out. We were all – I was I was studying Freedom in the Huddle from Mudra about, about you know, um, just – democratic thoughts and and some of the stuff we were, were talking about asking for input from the players and things like that um i don't know i think that um it's like any it's almost what we just talked about fine if you're gonna if you're gonna get on them all the time then that's gonna wear out pretty quick and i think that there is a, a strategic plan of of what you think you can use and some some old coach Somebody, some old basketball coach said it was like having a six shooter. I'd, I'd six, six times a year, I would do it. And I kind of thought, oh, that's pretty good, you know. And then I think, I think I used about four my first year. And I was like, hey, that's pretty good. I didn't even use all six. And, and then it went down to about two. And I think it's, it's like, you know, there's, there's moments where I think there's a, there, the mechanisms and the system that you're doing each and every game, you're studying, you're learning, you're, you're improving. There's teaching moments, there's positive moments. And then, 
when that gets too far off the tracks is when you got to pull them back on the tracks and you might have to you might have to show some i think when you have the pulse of the locker room yeah you know the input of your coaches you know when they're ready and they'll come to tell you afterwards man we we needed that that was that was that's exactly what we needed um i want to have some just some fun to finish up coach and again thanks for your time you know, uh, my dad was a professional musician, so I, I grew up in a house of music. My dad played the saxophone in the basement. He got me interested in sax. I played a little guitar in a band when I was a kid, um, played a little uh, a piano. And you do the same. I mean, music's kind of part of your, your life. And um, I, I just was curious, you know, how it all started. And then what does it do for you as a leader? You know, in terms of you know, you're taking your piano on the road, you take the guitar on the road. Um, how does it help you lead? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that um, it's really become more important to me in the last seven to ten years, and and um, many many different ways of trying to learn and things like that. But still taking guitar lessons and and uh, just started guitar actually a couple of years ago now. So um, for me, for me, I think it's. Um, really breaks up my day as far as just some stress relief maybe or just some work 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 relief and just chill out for a little bit um but i really think and I, and this could i could totally be making this up coach you know seriously but you know they they say that it helps your creative um side of your brain and 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 i really really think it helps me um, to come up with new ideas and thoughts and offenses and defenses and what I think the other teams might be doing. I'm, I'm, again, I might be making it up, but 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 I but I continue like to to try to take lessons and learn new pieces and learn new songs and because that part isn't easy. I'm not a natural musician. I don't think I can't just rip through any song I want to play. I got to work at it, and that part's really making you to activate your mind i think a little bit and i think it carries over to some creative ideas and the yeah i mean whether it's music or golf or whatever you need a break from the intensity of you know 85 games and being on the road and and all the things that go into uh you know that's really awesome i highly recommend it as you i know you do too too. it's like it's like it's part of my foundation like i'm trying to get an instrument to every kid you know starting out here because it's like it's such a joyful part of my life. And, and uh, I think everybody should share that. Well, let's lead. I got final three questions for you. In our first class, I asked the students to write a handwritten thank you note to someone. And it's just a moment of self-awareness and humility that you talked about today, where I didn't get here to this place um, without the help of someone. And I asked them to do it if they can put their family aside or their parents aside. You know, who would because I know that's where it would go, probably your dad or your mom. You know, who would that thank you note go to and why? Uh, I get one. I got to pick one. Pick okay. one. I'm Just one. Pick, yeah, I'm going to pick. Uh, no disrespect to the others, but pick one. No, no. I mean, there's, you know, we've talked about a lot of the other ones, like, you know, key ones that, you know, Mudra and Miller and Phil, you know, there's a lot of them. But I would probably say I would say um, my assistant coach, Nate Bjorken. Right. I would I would say that um, I don't I don't think I'm anywhere close to here without the Iowa energy job. And we kind of created that team from scratch. And he knocked on my door and worked for nothing for for a couple of years. And we we side by side for four years um, 
did everything from washing the uniforms to drafting and trading the players to putting lines on the floors to get that first title. And he was with me every step of the way. And, and, um, and then winning he, the championship he, he got, him, thank you got him, winning a championship got him to, to be a head coach in the, in the NBA, you know, and, and what, what uh, greater privilege there is for a head coach to get one of his assistants, you know, a job in the, in the league. Um, two parts to this one, you get to play in a band and you get to play, or you get to play with an individual, an individual musician or in a band, who would they be? You know, I'm going with Chicago, the band and Keith Urban. Who are you going with? <laughs> I'm going, I'm, a, it's, I'm going with the Rolling Stones. And I don't know why, other than the fact that I just kind of, I don't know if I've dreamed it up or what, that they they called me and wanted me to come on stage. <laughs> I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about the Stones. Uh, you know, I went on with the Arkells, a big Canadian band, and that was like the thrill of a lifetime. I don't know if I'll, I'll ever do it again because that was so amazing. Um, and that was the other one. I got to pick one other musician. Yeah, if you got like an, an individual musician. Uh, I'm going to say Nora Jones. Beautiful. Would you sing with her or just play play for her? Well, <laughs> the problem with going on with Nora is she already plays the piano and I'm much better on the piano. So that's and her guitar player is like out of this world. <laughs> so I, I don't know what I would do on that one, coach. I might have to I might have to get something, you know, yeah. something else. Get a tambourine just to good choices. There. Yeah, maybe. Good choice. Sing with her a little bit. I, I love I love Nora. I love yeah. one of her songs. I, I play on the piano all the time. I'd love to yeah. love to sing along with her just in in my office or something just to yeah, say she's amazing. Yeah. Last one, last one. If Nick nurse today in 2021 had a chance to speak to Nick nurse at 23, when you got your first full-time head coaching job, what would be your best advice to him? Well, I kind of, no, it's a good one. It's, it's, um, I get asked by 23 year old coaches all the time. And I say, don't, don't take the path I took, <laughs> whatever you do. So, so maybe I would say that in one sense, I kind of say it. And then in the other sense, I wouldn't change a thing. So um, I think patience coach, you know, it, it is a, it is a patient process of continuing to believe that you can do it and, um, and to continue to learn. Well, man, we could we could do three sessions of this, but uh, sure. you know your your time's valuable. You're working into a new season, um, you know, as a, as a as a friend and a fan. You know, I just want to wish you all the best of luck in the season and uh, with your team. It's be, it's going to be fun to watch. And thank well, you for your thanks time. Thanks for today. having me on. And um, wherever we bumped into each other at that courtside game, it's been a pleasure knowing you for these last. Five, seriously, really, for the last five years, I've learned a lot from you and. Got a lot of respect for you, and yeah. thanks a lot. A lot more ahead. Thanks, Coach. Okay. Thanks go out to our executive producer, Greg Levy. Associate Dean and Director of the Entertainment, Arts, and Sports Law Program at the University of Miami School of Law. I want to also thank our engineer and editor, Christopher Elzadi, our theme music from Calyptra, and special acknowledgement to our research assistant, Nick Rossi, a fellow attorney 
and student who's done a great job in our preparation.